0: On today's Full 94, awesome interview. I was joined by Fran Frishilla, college basketball analyst, former coach, knowing all things international hoops as well. Uh, We chatted about the TBT. We chatted about the bubble and how college basketball can pull it off. Can they pull it off? You know, what does an abbreviated season mean for the 2021 draft class? We talk about the 2020 draft class in kind of all these drafts over the years and how the criteria has changed and, and who goes number one this year. Uh, we also talk about the international impact um, in the NBA. You know, what's the trajectory for guys like Giannis and Luca, um, And then his prediction for the 2020 NBA playoffs. A ton of hoops that we chatted. Um, so enjoy it. It's a full 94. Let's go. Jesus came
1: to me. He once was a waiter. Now he's a savior, making money on the street. My dreams are made of gold. My heart's been broken. I'm down along the road, but I know my dreams can fade till I get old. Breathe for a minute. Breathe for a minute. I'll be okay.
0: All right, we are live. I'm joined today by college basketball analyst, former coach, college basketball commentator, international hoops guru. The list goes on. Fran Freshilla, how's it going, man?
2: Outstanding, Mike. Great to be on with you today. And, you know, always great to talk basketball with you. So this will be fun.
0: Of course. Of course. Well, let's start where where our paths crossed uh um, yeah per se here and the tbt and i know this year was a little bit unique uh but you know i know you've been a proponent of the tbt for for years now and uh, yeah. i guess in your eyes kind of what what makes that event so great
2: oh man it's uh you know it's high level basketball mixed with reality tv um you know the simple fact that um John Mugar, the founder of the TBT, came up with this idea to have a winner-take-all summer tournament, uh, one and done. If you lose, you go home. Uh You know, if it's 64 teams or 24 in the case of this year because of COVID, Mm -hmm. um, you know, every team gets shut out, gets nothing, zero, zilch, nada, and the winning team takes home a huge prize. This year, it was a million. Uh, The last couple of years, Mike, it was two million, as you know. And uh, the other thing that I think astounds people once they watch is how good the level of play is because um, a lot of these guys have some NBA experience, almost all of them are in the prime of their careers playing overseas and making a great living. And um, so it's a, it's a really good level of play. It's guys that we watched play in college through two, three, four, five years ago and maybe a little longer in the case of the Ohio State guys like Aaron Kraft and William Buford, but they're better players than the guys that we remember in college, and so it makes for really entertaining basketball. And finally, when you come down to the, you know, the Final Four, the TBT, or the championship game, every single possession is treated like life and death because of the money at stake. So that's what that's what I love about it.
0: Yeah, and I think, and even going off of that. You being the international hoops guru that you are, yeah. I mean, how, yeah. how awesome is it to see some of these guys that, that I think a lot of the casual fans will say, oh, man, I remember that guy from college, but but you know just how high of a level that they play at overseas.
2: Yeah, no question. And no doubt about it. Like David Lighty plays for Tony Parker's team in France. David, of course, was a great player at Ohio State. He might He might still, in fact, I'm pretty sure he's the winningest player in Ohio State history. Uh, because he one year was a redshirt year i think he's got a 135 wins mike but the fact is he's a really good player in france and ironically a lot of these guys who go overseas because i love the draft so much they actually help me during the year i reach out to guys like david Mighty, who this year played with a a young man by the name of Teo Maladon, who's going to be a first-round pick, a point guard. So these guys that go overseas, they're my eyes and ears, too, uh, keeping an eye on the young international players um, who are going to be in a draft. But to your point, uh, they don't just disappear when they finish their college careers. I keep an eye on them and watch them you know, closely when they're playing overseas because uh, I know the level they're playing at, which is really high. It's below the NBA, but it's above college for sure.
0: I think, yeah, and I think once you – and we experienced too, like when I was coaching in the event this year for the House of Pain – you know, yeah. when I was doing when we were breaking down personnel and doing the scouting report for Carmen's crew, I was like, my God, it's just like there's yeah. there's just nowhere to hide. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, you got Lighty, you got Buford, and you got you got Craft, and then the the other additions that yeah. they made. It's like, hey, those are all good and well, but then you add Deshaun Thomas and um, all those yeah. guys have been playing at a high level. And I think, you know, for the most part, you know, when you look at at these guys and and their talent level, especially, I think it's twofold, yeah. right? Like it's number one. You start to watch TBT and say, man, I I have more respect for these, you know, for these overseas players because they can play at a high level. But two, man, I have some respect for these NBA players because you know that if these guys aren't in the NBA, you know, how, how high of a level those guys must be playing at.
2: Yeah, no question. And the other thing, and, and uh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to throw you some kudos now because you did a, a great job of coaching House of Pain. I mean, the, the, the stuff you ran, the, the offense you put in, but I, I think also you probably agree with me and say it's enjoyable when you coach guys who have a high IQ for the game. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys who go overseas and they play for great coaches overseas you know, they come back and and they don't really have to practice that much. You know, like uh, the great team uh, overseas elite that won four straight titles, they never practice. But the fact is when you play overseas for, you know, 50, 60, 70 games a season and you're as well coached as these guys are and you keep improving from when you were in college, it's so much fun to watch these guys play when you put in offense because – they understand it. They understand offense, whereas a college freshman, you know, they don't understand, like, ball movement and spacing and pick and roll. And by the time these guys come back from overseas after three or four or five years, you know, and Aaron Kraft is even a smarter player, if that's hard to it's, – it's, it's hard to believe this, but right. he's even a smarter player than the guy we remember, you know, wreaking havoc on the Big Ten, you know, back in 2010 and eleven.
0: You know, and you hit the nail on the head there. I think the biggest thing for me as a as a coach when I was in it. Was yeah. was exactly that. Like we wanted to make sure that when we recruited, that's because that's part of the recruiting process, right? Like we want to make sure, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's, a, it's an abbreviated training camp. It's the everything is put into hyperdrive. So when we bring these yeah. guys to Columbus, hey, we want to make sure that if we're going to implement a system, and we did a lot of stuff uh, over Zoom, um, yes. but it's different when you get there and when you implement it. You know, getting getting the right pieces in place, making sure everybody's on the same page. And I, I'm telling you, Fran, like I, it was the first play that I drew up. And, and all yeah. I remember from when I was in college was like, Hey, you got the 18, 19 year old freshman, a couple guys are going to bust plays and we're going to, yeah. we're going to have to rep them over and over. <laughs> I mean, I drew up the first play, which was a, a relatively intricate play. And first, yep. first time ran it, ran it perfectly the first time. And that's when I kind of took a step back and was like, I'm dealing with pros, man. And, and, and you saw yeah. it, you saw it on the court, you saw it in the film room and, in your eyes, as you look at the TBT, I know it's it's served as a massive platform and showcase, yeah. especially this year for guys like Andres Feliz, but even Mike Dom and and all these guys. Like what, I guess, speak to kind of what it did for these guys this year um especially
2: well you know in mike dom's case he's one of the seven or eight all-time leading scorers in the history of college basketball you know amazing career from kimball nebraska to south dakota state and now he's playing in spain and i really think mike dom's going to end up in the nba someday Mm -hmm. um and you know he is going back to spain to play for the team that he played for last year uh obradoro where he is uh where he had a good year, not an unbelievable year, but he averaged about 11 points a game, I think. But Mike's a better player now than he was at South Dakota State. And uh, and so we're probably going to hear from him again. Uh, Andres, I was so impressed with him uh his t- you know he's i remember watching him in 2015 he was the youngest player on the Dominican Republic national team and they were up at the Pan Am games in Toronto and uh i knew about him you know i knew he was in high school in the states and he was going to play at south florida it didn't work out there junior college and then two great years for coach underwood and uh you know andres is going to be a good european player and it would not shock me if he comes back and is one of those Patrick Beverly, Marcus smart types, cause he's got that toughness, but uh, um, yeah, that's the beauty of the TBT. Now, now it's become a showcase for these guys to either increase their value overseas uh, if they've already playing over there or also make a name for themselves, which, you know, Andres did during the TBT. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. One thing I wanted to add as you were talking about, you know, these guys and we're talking about the IQ, mm-hmm. um, I spent 10 years coaching at the Reebok Euro camp, which was essentially the international combine, uh, all NBA coaches there and assistant coaches, um, 75 guys drafted over a 14 year period, uh, Goran Dragic, Serge Ibaka, Bobo Marjanovic, you know, Jokic, all these guys and we used to we used to get 30 minutes it's a four-day camp we used to get 30 minutes to put offense in and i have to tell you we got more done in 30 minutes than i did in two weeks as a head coach <laughs> at division one because these 18 year old kids are so well schooled and honestly mike I, I don't know if you saw this tweet i put out the other day but the N, the international guys who have come to the nba and they now make up 25 percent of the league mm-hmm they have brought a skill level to the league that has enhanced everybody, including the American players. When you think of Jokic and Doncic, Doncic and, and uh, you know, all these great international players, and then you think about the way KD and Steph and Klay Thompson and now, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, who, by the way, is a Canadian. He's an international player. The skill level of the NBA is so high right now in part because of the international guys and what they've brought to the NBA game. And it's, it's so much fun to see. So I love this game and you see it during TBT because of all these guys playing overseas.
0: And absolutely. And and I think even when you go back to, to the nineties and, and, you know, early nineties, late nineties, you look at a guy like Tony Kukoc who came over and, it was a little unique, right? Six ten, six eleven, being able to shoot the yeah. ball a little bit, and then Dirk kind of ushered that in as well. And I think even when Manu Ginobili came over, and all these guys are ushering in a completely different, you know, um, skill set in a sense. And yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I think it has completely enhanced, um, kind of the overall skill level of the, of the NBA. And then even, and then I guess going back to the TBT, um, yeah. you know, all of us being in there and, and and the showcase that it was. I mean, I look at guys that that. Kind of got the rug pulled out from under them in college uh, for the NCAA tournament. A guy like Andres Feliz, as you mentioned, a guy like Trey Landers, who absolutely punished us yeah. in the game that we played. But but he's playing for a you know for a great team out there in Germany now and and, and signed a great contract. So oh, that's great.
2: He's going to a good league. Absolutely. Yeah, he's going to a good league. Yeah.
0: You know, you look at the bubble, right? The bubble that we played in, um, and right, it's manageable, right? You're going, you got you know, 250 guys that are playing in the tournament. We come to the Hyatt. We stay in the Hyatt, you lose, you go home. Now as we as we kind of transition to college basketball. Yeah. You know, if if I'm putting Fran Fischilla on the committee here to figure all this out, like how are we pulling off a bubble in college basketball?
2: It's gonna be interesting because the NBA bubble is costing them 150 million.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now we know we know the genius of John Mugar and what he did with the TBT bubble. And I'm sure it cost them, a you know, a pretty penny to put all you guys in, the, what was it, the downtown Hyatt, I think, in Columbus. Yep. yep. And, and you know, so I do think uh, I've been told that a number of conferences, Big East, A-10, American Conference, among others, have all reached out to TBT to, you know, just be, because of the logistics involved. Um, Testing is going to be critical. I do think bubbles can work, um, and it may take bubbles in different places around the country. Um, I've heard Orlando. I've heard uh, the Pentagon and Sioux Falls, which is a great, great arena. I've heard Mohegan Sun, where they have an arena plus the hotels necessary. Testing is critical, especially if we can get to this saliva testing that the NBA is using, which is, from what I've been told, it's like between 4 and $10 a test, which is very reasonable. Um, and then you just got to have the, you know, the... The protocols in place to, uh, you know, to pull this off, and and um, I think it's doable. I do. I really do. I I I, I know the virus controls everything. But if we can get this virus under control and, and we can get the, the, you know, the the rates down of infection and uh, all these teams do their part, we have to have college basketball this season in one way, shape or form. We've proven Bubbles work. Now we have to just implement it.
0: And let me ask you this. And, and this is something that that I talked about the other day in an article Um but, you know, you look at the TBT, right? You put everybody in a, in a bubble here. But the end goal is obviously a million dollars. Yes. You know, and then you look at the NBA, right? You, you're asking, you know, three months, which, by the way, three months. Uh, I spent 12 yeah. days in there. I mean, that, yeah. was a long, that felt like a long time. So credit credit to those NBA players that are and, and coaches and staff and equipment managers, everybody down the line yeah. um, that has yes. been sticking it out there. But, you know, yeah. my question is for college basketball players –
2: Yes. What is what's
0: the incentive? Right. I mean, and and I say and everybody likes to say they have a great culture. Guys are bought in. But, you know, let's say you bring over a guy or or you you have a conference tournament, so to speak, Um, you know, or or you have a conference season. Let's try to knock out 11 games in a bubble over Christmas break and a team starts and four. Like, what yep. is what is the incentive to, to stay bought in, to not leave your hotel? To, like, what, yeah. how, how do you manage that if you're if you're, you know, in the college basketball ranks?
2: Well, it's, it's a factor. You know, one of the things even before the pandemic that I have talked about with co- about college student athletes. And I've, I've said this to young coaches is you better be on the frontier uh, of mental health mm-hmm. because that's the next frontier in college athletics is mental health. Is you know really understanding these young young men and women and what makes them tick and and certainly the pandemic has added to that. They added to the the fact that mental health is going to be so critical going forward. I my son James was in the bubble with the with the magic uh, in or in Orlando and he told me he said Dad I never want to get arrested because I don't want to go to jail because I was in that hotel room the first week. And I could only leave for 10 minutes at a time to get tested. And you know what that's like. You did it you know, briefly in the Columbus bubble. And uh, it's definitely an issue. Now, uh, you know, Luca Garza and his teammates at Iowa, they're coming back knowing that early in the season they're probably going to be in a bubble. I, I think the incentive is that college basketball is fleeting. And unlike football, where you see these guys opting out, there's probably less of a chance to have a career-ending injury in college basketball. So let's just say it's a little safer from that standpoint. We also know from what we've learned so far that, you know, the the virus is probably not going to – Harm the long-term uh, health of athletes, although that's still in question. Obviously, the Big Ten people would disagree with that, right? The medical people, because of the the heart issues. But um, but assuming that there is a safety factor that we can we can get to, um, I just think it's a matter of saying, "Hey, I want to play college basketball, and this might be the last time I get to do it." And we're also at a point right now, Mike, in early September. That we don't really know where we'll be in November, January, and February, and there's always that hope that, whether it's the saliva testing, whether it's the, uh, the vaccines, whether it's uh, antibody testing, that we can get this virus under control. But make no mistake about it, for, for the athletes and the coaches, the virus controls everything right now. You know, they always said, uh, man plans and God laughs. Well, I'll amend that in this case, man plans, man plans, and the virus laughs. For sure. So we'll see. There's no question that we're we're in uncharted waters right now with these student-athletes.
0: Let's say we do have an abbreviated season, right? Or or there's no season. You know, what what does that do for the 2021 draft class? We'll hit on the 2020 draft class here in a second, but the yeah. 2021 yeah. draft class like what does that look like moving forward?
2: Well, it's going to be a deep class, deeper than this class at, at least on paper right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of incentive for these kids to play and to show you know again to show nba scouts that uh hey I'm worthy of being a top pick or a top 5 pick or top pick top 10 pick it's going to be a from what i understand a deep class so Again, because we don't have the injury factors that we might have in, you know, college football. I think you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see a lot of kids opting out, especially if we get to a point by December 1st that we feel confident that we can, you know, m- mitigate the dangers. So um, yeah, but it. Uh, but it, but what changes about this whole situation is you know will nba scouts be able to get out and see guys in person are they going to be allowed at practices are the broadcasters going to be allowed at practices are nba scouts going to be allowed at games are we going to have fans at games you know how is the evaluation process going to be very much kind of where we are right now with the draft class of 2020 Mm -hmm. where some guys have decided to stay in even though You know, they might not have the opportunity to impress teams, impress teams like they could have. And then you got a guy like Luca Garza, who I mentioned earlier, uh, who's actually going to be on my podcast this week on World of Basketball. A little plug there. Um, And Luca was made no bones about it. You know, I I wasn't sure what was going to happen with my draft stock because I couldn't meet with teams in person or work out for them. And, you know, I got my whole team coming back at Iowa. We're going to be picked in the top five. I got a chance to do something historic. And uh, if I'm going to be a, an NBA player, it can wait a year because I can do some special things with my team. Again, that's his hope. That's my hope. That's your hope. But right. we don't know until we get to the season.
0: Uh, are there – in? and I guess you would know better than anyone here, but – between the twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one draft class, let's say there is an abbreviated season, are there going to be a lot more misses in terms of in terms of draft picks? Um, yes,
2: yes, I do. I think so. First of all, I think there's going to be a lot of misses this year because mm-hmm. I call this I call this a smoke and mirrors draft. Sure. Um, there's guys that are in the top ten that I think could end up being duds. And, you know, usually in a, in, a, in a good draft class, there's three or four guys you go, all right, barring something unforeseen, he's a star, or he's at least an NBA starter on a really good team. Mm-hmm. You don't have that this year. You know, you can't really say that about very many, if anybody, in this draft. And I think what's going to happen is there's going to be guys, now it happens every year, but more so this year. We're going to look back like we did in two, in uh, 2013 when Anthony Bennett went one, and yep. Greek freak went fifteen maybe or fourteen, I think we're gonna look back on the draft class and say, How did we miss Stick Smith at Maryland? Right. He's six ten, he shoots threes like you know, he he plays like Pascal Siakam. You know, how did we how did we miss on Jaden McDaniels who had a little bit of off the court baggage maturity wise? But hell, he's the next Paul George. Right. You know, how do we miss on Sadiq Bay? Who, you know, the mock draft guys believe it or not they didn't even have him on in the top in the first round in November. That's Yeah. And all of a sudden he may go 11th or 12th and could be the best player in the draft. You know, it's one of those drafts this year. It's a smoke and mirrors draft. There's guys that are being touted highly right now that I go, really? Mm -hmm. But, hey, I could be wrong because, you know, even Jerry West hasn't figured out the draft uh, year in and year out. There's a lot of a lot of human element to to these drafts that, uh. You know, you have to factor in and, you know, their work ethic, their character, you know, their commitment to get better. So we'll see. But I think this is a smoke and mirrors draft class for sure.
0: And and as we do dive into this 2020 draft class and just just to put it bluntly and just to ask bluntly, like who goes number one? And I'll ask that. That's kind of a two part question. Who do you yeah. think goes number one? And then if you were in the war room for Anfashila, who do you take number one?
2: It's a great question. Uh, I think Anthony Edwards will eventually be the number one pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I see, I've seen him in person a couple times. Tom Crean's a close friend. Um, if you look at the team, the way Minnesota's constructed right now, they are two, they are two building blocks because they get the most money are D'Angelo Russell and Cat Towns. That's obvious point guard and big man. Mm-hmm. And uh, those guys that, you know, are, have enormous salaries. And, and and D'Angelo, who I thought had a terrific freshman year at Ohio State, I think he's a brilliant passer, um, and he can score. Um, D'Angelo is a ball-dominant guard. Like, yeah, can you play two point guards together in the NBA? Absolutely. Portland does it. Other teams do it. But in this case, D'Angelo needs the ball in his hands. It's like Chris Paul mm-hmm. or, or Trey Young down in at Atlanta. So I don't think LaMelo ball makes sense here. Um, I think James Wiseman potentially is the best player in this draft and the draft's best athlete, Seven-one, seven-six wingspan, freak athlete. But if you play him with Cat Towns, then you're playing unconventionally the way the NBA is playing small now. So I think Anthony Edwards, one of the youngest players in the draft with enormous upside, mm-hmm. physical tools to be a really good player, but had his ups and downs this year. I think he makes sense in Minnesota just because he's six-five. He can defend. I've seen it. He can score. Um, he just has a long way to go in terms of becoming productive at the NBA level, but the talent level is definitely there.
0: And is you and and you did mention Wiseman there and and my question my question about James Wiseman comes you know and and, and I'm looking at this if I'm the Warriors, if I end up trading the second pick. Yeah. But is there a potential that James Wiseman's values is as high as it is right now before playing in the NBA? Because as you look at as you look at his film this year, yeah. is he almost is he almost benefiting from the fact he didn't play a full season? Like you see a couple, a couple non-con games. I know they played Oregon, or they played, uh, yes. you know, a couple different high major teams. Yep. But is, is he think, benefiting yeah. from
2: that a little bit? I think so. I mean, you know, um, this happens a lot. Um, It happens a lot when guys get hurt and they pack it in for the year. Just think about Kyrie Irving when he only played, like, the first seven or eight games for Duke. It happens with international guys or it used to when they were kind of mystery guys. I think a little bit of mystery doesn't hurt somebody's draft stock. But if a team has evaluated James Wiseman, you know, going back to the McDonald's practices, going back to the Nike Hoop Summit, Going back to practices early in the year, and then certainly the first three games, what they're seeing is a, a massive young man in terms of length and athleticism. And in this draft, and I think the Warriors are in play uh, mm-hmm. for James Wiseman. I, I think the Warriors, you know, they're going to look at trade prospects. They're going to look about. They're going to look at trading down. They're going to look at adding veterans in a trade down situation but you also they're smart enough to know they don't want to pass up potentially a franchise big man even if he's a franchise big man on the defensive end early on Mike so um, I I think he's definitely in play at number two uh, but there's no question the detective work that you have to do with this young man and by the way he seems to be a quality young man Mm -hmm. from all indications you know he's a good kid um and uh you know everybody at Memphis says the same thing about him so but yeah no no doubt the mystery is going to probably enhance his value because i don't see him slipping past 3 or 4 i just don't see it there's nobody else in this draft besides a maybe an obi toppin or the kid from israel and i'm not a huge fan i i, I liked Avia, um but you know i don't see greatness in him I see potential greatness in James Wiseman, and I would have—I would hate to pass up on
0: that. Yeah, and, and I've I've tinkered back and forth with you know is this going to end up being a Maryland's Noel situation? I I just I don't see him sliding that far, and and I've yeah. honestly I've heard from, I guess very very close sources um, that he ain't getting past the Hornets at three. So yeah, uh, so it'll be interesting yeah. to see kind of how that plays out, and and I guess my next question. Is is you know I guess somewhat does have to do with James Wiseman, but how has the criteria changed over the years uh, in terms of drafting? With the, I know the the league has changed, and I know yes. the landscape of the league has changed, but for some reason, our GMs reluctant to mirror that in the draft because people kind of talk about the big man being somewhat of a dying breed yet. Right, you go just two drafts back, and DeAndre Ayton, Mo Bamba, you know Marvin Bagley, yeah. Wendell Carter, all go in the top ten. So, is there, you know, is, is there really that much of a change in the landscape for the draft?
2: Well, I think where the change is, you've got to ask yourself now if you're taking a young big man, is uh, you got to ask yourself, can he defend on the perimeter? Mm-hmm. Because the way the NBA game is right now, when you look at, first of all, let's look at it. It's a pick and roll league, right? Sixty plus percent of the plays in the NBA are pick and roll plays, which means your big man is going to be out on the floor quite a bit and can he hold his own against the quickness of these great young guards in the league so and i think james wiseman can do that you know i really do i think he's a space eater i think he can can obviously block shots, but he also can move his feet on the perimeter, I think, as well as any big man in the draft. And then the second thing is when you look at the nature of the offense, besides pick and roll, a lot of five out right now. Mm-hmm. You know, look where Marcus Gasol aligns himself. Look where Jokic is. They're all out at the top of the key. As- bam, yeah. yeah. Yeah, bam as playmakers, you know. And so, again, that means – a guy like James Wiseman is going to have to be out on the perimeter, and I think he can do that. So, yeah, is he going to throw it to him in the low post? Is he going to post up like David Robinson, a guy I kind of compare him to at least Mm -hmm. physically? Probably not early in his career, but... Can he run the floor? Absolutely. Can he defend both inside and out? I believe he can. Can he screen and roll to the rim and catch lobs above the square? Yes, he can. So he fits into that pick and roll game. Is he a pretty good kid? Yes, he is. Um, Would he benefit by being on a veteran team with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Steph, as opposed to a young team like Cleveland or Charlotte? Yes, because there are some—I wouldn't say work ethic issues—but I, because I know the characters there. But you'd want somebody like those guys I mentioned in Golden State to say, "Hey, young big, big guy, this is how we do it here." Okay, you, you go all out, and even in practice, you go all out. Okay, and so I, I think that's a big part of it. So I, I think there's enormous potential there for him.
0: And I guess as you look at the 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 big men in the NBA, so to speak. Yep. You know, is is James Wiseman it, it's almost like, you know, if you if you're James Wiseman and kind of what his ceiling is, instead of trying to change him into this, you know, perimeter oriented big man that can step out, like that would be great. But is there yeah. an element of it that's like, hey, if he's Rudy Gobert, that's great too?
2: Yeah, and I gotta tell you now, given where the given where Brooke well, I think Brooke Lopez, I I mm-hmm. you know, this would be fun to look up. I know. I know. Between Marcus All and Brooke Lopez, they shot very, very few threes in their first seven, eight years in the NBA. Um, and now you look at both of those guys and others. Um, you know Nurkic in Portland, and uh, you know it's a requirement of young big guy or of big guys in the league to to attempt to stretch the defense. Serge Ibaka does it, but he's only six ten, six eleven. But I'm talking about these seven footers now uh, Alex Len, who, you know, was former lottery pick. So I think, um, James Wiseman, not right away, but I think by year two, three, four is going to have an ability to shoot the three ball not at a 45% clip, but enough to keep teams honest. And that could actually be a weapon for a young guy like that. His jump shot's not broken. It's not just something uh, a veteran NBA coach and team wants to hang their hat on right now. So that's the other element of drafting these young big guys is can they stretch a defense the way these veteran bigs like Gasol, like, like Gasol and like, uh, uh, you know, Brooke Lopez have learned to do. And I think James can do that as well down the road
0: absolutely and it's funny you mentioned that i actually i actually was doing <laughs> was looking this up the other day as i was watching lopez and um you know as you look at his last two years in brooklyn right yep. like, so the so you look at the 15-16 season and the 16-17 season 15-16 season he's 2 for 14 from 3 took took 14 threes you fast forward one year and he took 387 threes so that's it so it's crazy like you see you know and you got to give credit where credits due. like and and even on a more granular level just my Illini roots here but Myers Leonard did it too I mean he's he's changed evolved into a into a three-point shooting big as well so it's it's and you're right like just because you're not that coming out of coming out of college per se doesn't mean you can't develop that so um And I guess changing gears here, still sticking with the draft in a sense, but I've always been curious about this question because it's been kind of a theory of mine the last few years. But um, And I want to talk about the role of social media when it comes to evaluating – not necessarily evaluating because the the GMs and the scouts um, kind of well, they'll always do their due diligence. But from a fan's perspective, John Morant's on every Instagram, you know, a highlight reel and and on Twitter as well. So is there that element to where you know maybe not for the for the GMs and and scouts because like I mentioned, yeah. they'll do their due diligence. But for these for a casual fan to be excited about Luka Doncic, to be excited about John Morant, to be excited about Obi Toppin. You know because you see it all year you see it all year on yeah. social media has that helped these international and mid major guys
2: uh it has but I have to tell you you know I'm old enough to know that if you go back years and years and years. They find players, mm-hmm. you know, they, uh, the NBA, NBA scouts have found players. They found Scottie Pippen, you know, they scan, they found Dennis Rodman. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys going back, I mean, going back really even to the sixties and seventies, Walt Frazier, who I grew up idolizing with the New York Knicks, Southern Illinois, when Southern Illinois, by the way, was a division two program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you go, if you look at Dame Willard and Web Weaver state, and you look at CJ McCollum from Lehigh, you know, Mike, I, I just think basketball is basketball and good evaluators, uh, Can figure that out. So I I think the beauty of the game and one of the things I love about the NBA, by the way, two things is guys who improve, you know, you mentioned Myers Leonard, you know, Myers is going to stay in the league 10, 12, 14 years now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can, you know, people criticize him. He's a big white guy or whatever, but, you know, guys like Myers Leonard help you win games. And so I love the aspect of, of seeing guys improve over the course of their NBA careers. But I also love the fact that we can find these guys anywhere. Yep. Murray State and you know Weaver State. And that's been really going on for years and years and years. So um I think I think the beauty of, you know, basketball is go somewhere where you can play, develop, improve, make mistakes. And uh, it doesn't always have to be Duke or, or, uh, you know, Michigan State. You go to a place where you can get the ball in your hands early in your career and, you know, NBA teams will find you. And and there's no question that happens in the NFL. It happens in baseball. So I I would never worry about that. If I was a good player, I would always – I would always think that if I have success, they're going to find me.
0: Yeah, and I guess I guess to kind of reword the question in a sense, like obviously the obviously the GMs, the scouts, the talent evaluators will always be on their p's and q's. But as I guess, as a casual fan, right, to get excited about these guys, um, yeah. For I mean, Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, let's like if that's another guy that you know got booed as he went up on stage in the draft, and I didn't feel as much of that. Kind of visceral reaction when Luca got drafted because because I think yeah. as a casual fan you saw a little bit more of Luca um, whether you're going through Twitter or Instagram obviously you know these these the higher ups in in the in these front offices they know. Um, yeah, but for these casual fans to be excited about these guys, it's really like, have I seen them? Have I not seen them? Um, you know, I right. felt like when Kristaps got drafted, and you know, with, with the fourth pick and you know, a, a few years back, uh, yep. it was just we haven't seen them, so we're just, hey, here, here's yeah. another white guy from overseas that you've drafted.
2: Well, here's what's changed, and it's a good point. What's changed is, you know, what we didn't know 20 years ago is what translated. Like, right. you know, obviously Sharunas, Marshallonis, and. Pau Gasol and uh, then Dirk and then, you know, obviously, you know, you mentioned Mano Ginobili, who, by the way, was like the 58th pick in the Mm -hmm. draft. Um, It took a while for the NBA teams and fans, you know, uh, because they're the last to know, I hate to say it, but that's the truth, uh, to figure out like what translates to the NBA. That's no longer the issue. We now know that if you average or you play well in the Spanish league, the French league, or in the Euro league, which is a compilation of the best teams in Europe, that that will translate to the NBA even more so than high major. So a kid that averages, let's say 18 a game at Illinois, you know, could be an NBA prospect, but maybe he's not. But if you average 12 a game in the ACB on a really good team yep. and you happen to have the physical, you know, you know, you're 21 and you're six, nine, you can run the floor you're averaging 12 a game in the ACB, there's a really good chance you're going to be an NBA prospect because we now know what translates. And Christoph Porzingis, to give you an example, uh, what he did in the ACB in the Spanish league at 19 was like hitting 330 in AAA baseball. And there's a good chance that he's going to translate to the major leagues. If he had played in college that year, you know, he'd average 26, 27 points imagine. a game. Yeah. Imagine. And, and so the same thing with Luka Doncic, can you imagine him two years ago playing in the big 10 I, instead of dominating the second best league in the world? I mean, this guy would have been, it would have been unfair.
0: I, 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 it's so funny going back and I'm sure you've seen it too um, because you were on the good side of that. You were on the yeah. good side of the, of the Luka, of the Luka evaluation. Well, let me, hey,
2: let me, let me, let me stop you and tell you that I had him number two behind eight so I knew he would. I knew he'd yep. be a good player, and I thought he might be an all-star by year five. Mm-hmm. I did not see this coming. So I'm not going to lie to you. No, that's I did fine. Not that's see fine. This but
0: I will say. So if, if, when you go back, it's funny. I Actually, I watched this. There's a there's a video on YouTube that you can go back, and it's it's like everyone that got Luca wrong. And, right. And there were and I, I'm not. I'm obviously not going to name names, but there was one. Yeah. <laughs> there was one uh, media pundit that said, if he played in the NCAA. He's averaging ten a game, and that that was the one that I thought, and we just touched on that. That there's just there's just no way. I mean, there's absolutely there's absolutely no way. And you know, I, I think just even just looking at the playoffs now, or I guess to yeah. to go back, I want I want to drill down a little bit into what you had just mentioned in terms of whether you're playing in the ACB or the Euro League, and and, right. and and translating to the NBA as an evaluator. Um, yeah. What are the most projectable characteristics and skills uh, for you? Like when you're looking at a at a player that could make that jump,
2: college and and uh, and international.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I guess uh, both well, sides. Yeah.
2: Well, first of all positional size and athleticism like there they, you know there are certainly outliers in the NBA not every shooting guard is six foot five and a freak athlete not every big man at power forward is 610 250, right. you know and obviously now we're downsizing a little bit because we're playing more small ball whereas you know a bam out of bio I'm guessing bam is probably in the six nine, six ten, two forty 6'10, 240 range mm-hmm. uh, but he's a center now you know so so it's but there's a certain there's a certain there are certain physical characteristics that you pretty much need, uh, you know, uh, size and athleticism that do translate now where, where the athleticism and and again, what's athleticism, you know, that's the other thing that I think NBA teams are aware of Luka Doncic is not a great athlete. Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, he's, he's a defensive end playing point guard and he can get anywhere on the court because of his skill level and his strength and power. And he may not be as quick as Russell Westbrook, but you know, we looked at him and a lot of people said, well, he's not athletic enough to point in the NBA, which is absurd, because we we go back and go back to Larry Bird and others, Chris Mullen and you know I, I hate to be so uh, what do we call it, stereotypical, but there's black guys that yeah you because know, you know I I Mark Jones and I had a great we had a great uh, we had a great discussion once at a combine, uh, Pat Connaughton you know, who is a baseball pitcher, could be pitching in the major leagues right uh, right now. Uh, We were at the combine one year and he, he, he jumped like 46 on his vertical. And I said to Mark Jones, and we made this up, but I said it on the air anyway, Mark, you told me at breakfast this morning that Pat Connaughton was the most athletic guy here, you know, and we were basically just trying to break the stereotype mode, you know, and Peyton Pritchard is a great athlete at the point guard spot because people are not used to hearing that but we know better you know so anyway it gets back to what i was saying earlier what's athleticism how do you translate that to the league and of course it's not just run and jump and speed it's other things so and and the league is full of, full of great athletes so that's the thing i think nba teams you know figure out is what makes what makes what makes a kid translating to the league uh, be successful, and a big part of it is how his athleticism translates.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I even think about just as, and not to stay on the same stereotype, but, you know, T.J. McConnell is, and people would always say, you know, T.J. McConnell's not a great athlete, and you may think yeah. that because he may not, you know, you know have a 43-inch a vertical, but T.J. McConnell laterally, and, and yeah. all these, all these, like, that is athleticism, too, and, and guys being able to stay in front of guys, and, and I even think about what you mentioned, just, just size of your position, like if, yeah. if if Halliburton is six foot two, probably not in the position that he's in well, right now um, in the yeah. draft. I call
2: him I, when I saw him his second game of his career mm-hmm. uh, against Missouri at home. I didn't do the game; I was there. I was speaking in Iowa, and I went over to the game, and I, I know that program well because of my Big Twelve days. And he was a three star player coming out of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. My first reaction is, "Oh my God, he's a six five Monte Morris." Yep. And, and Monte Morris is a six-two point guard. You know, winning playoff series right now. He's starting.
0: He's in, yeah.
2: And in Tyrese the game, in is, the game
0: late, in the game late for the Nuggets. Absolutely, because yeah.
2: you can you can trust him. And you know, if Tyrese at six-five is as good as Monte is, he's going to be a good NBA player. Mm-hmm. But to go back to TJ, I'll give you two guys that, if you really think about it, and and all three of these guys I've gotten very close to, uh, I'll never forget uh, TJ senior year. They're playing at Utah. In a huge game with DeLon Wright and Jacob Pertle and Stanley Johnson and Caleb Tarzuski, it's like number three and number nine in the country Saturday night. And during shoot around that day, I said to TJ, what are you going to do next year? And he, he looked at me, he goes, coach, I want to play in the NBA so bad. And I thought to myself, mm, it's going to be iffy, it's going to be touch and go. Right. But I, I said to him, I said, hey, if I told you right now that if you walked from Tucson to Boston, this summer and it took you three months but when you got there they would put you on their roster would you do it he looked at me like i had three heads he said of course he's, gone. he's crawling, I knew he's he crawling would, there he's crawling and he he'd crawl there and, and listen i had the same conversation with pat beverly five years before because he was the first american we ever had at the euro camp in italy because he played that year in ukraine So we took him because we said, hey, you know, let's get this kid some exposure. You know, he he didn't play his senior year at Arkansas, but he he did play in the Ukraine. He played for a good friend of mine, Bob Donald Walt, uh, who's now an assistant at Texas Tech. And then the third guy who I watched develop, and you may remember him from Chicago. And by the way, Pat Beverly's not a great athlete, and neither is Javon Carter. Mm -hmm. Okay, which is it's mind blowing when you think of, of Proviso East. And Javon Carter only had one high major offer, West Virginia. Yep. And you you know, now Javon is playing in Phoenix. And my point is, all three of those guys by NBA standards are not great athletes. They're good athletes, but they all have a, a want to that's not gonna allow them to fail in the league. So, you know, there's two perfect examples of Pat Beverly and Javon Carter. Who happen to be high intensity, high IQ guys who will kill themselves to stay in that league.
0: And you want to talk about culture guys too. And we we touched on Myers before, and I I think I was I went on radio a, a few weeks ago uh, talking about Myers. But Myers yep. and the way he's translated his game has turned himself from an you know an eight year NBA player to a sixteen year NBA player because not only yep. has he translated it from a from you know in in terms of his skill set. But when you talk about a culture guy like and this is why I always say like whenever I whenever I go on podcasts whenever I talk to people whenever someone says oh he's an NBA draft pick oh that guy yeah. that guy's at least a second round pick well is his yeah. resume squeaky clean because if you do come yeah. in if and and correct me if I'm wrong you're the you're the draft expert here but if you do come in like yeah. is it is it right to assume hey if you're going second round Odds are, like let's say you're 50, yeah. 54th pick, 48th pick, 37th pick, odds are if you yeah. do make the roster, you are yeah. 9th, 11th, 12th, 13th guy. So if, you're, if you're an issue, there's just no place for you. So like, that's why those second-round guys, I would imagine, would have to have a squeaky clean resume and be culture guys.
2: I, I I know for a fact that any place that Myers, especially in the recent four or five years where he's really matured, he first in Portland and now in Miami. You're not a, you're not playing for the Miami Heat if you're not a culture guy. Mm. Period. Okay, you are not on that roster. Yep. You know what? Deion Waiters was for a while. They got rid of him. They've done that with other guys. But you're not. Playing for the Miami heat. I know, I know what Myers Leonard, I know how he's thought of in the league. He's a great teammate mm-hmm. and he's going to do what it takes to be successful. And see, here's the other thing, Mike, about the draft. These guys that say, well, I got him slotted in the late first to early second. That is garbage. Yeah. Okay. Tell me you got, you, you're in one of four buckets, five. Okay. Are you an NBA all-star? Okay. When we draft you, what's the projection? Okay. Are you going to be an NBA starter? Okay, maybe not. Are you going to be an NBA rotation player? Okay, that's the third bucket. The fourth bucket is, are you an NBA roster player? And the fifth bucket is you're probably going to be playing overseas or in the G League. Mm -hmm. And so with Myers, you know, he started out as a roster guy, you know, and now he's developed into a rotation guy. And rotation guys in that league stay in the league if they're good guys for 10 plus years and they make, you know, 100 million dollars. And so that's the beauty of the, I told you earlier, that's what I love about this league is seeing guys, you know, how about Jalen Brunson? Okay. Now he was hurt at the end of this year, yep. but the national player of the year went 34th in the draft and his first year and a half in, in, in Dallas, He's either a starter or he's a first guard off the bench guy. And and that's the beauty of the league. That's what that's what you love about the league is guys that turn themselves into good players. And again, don't tell me where a guy's gonna he oh he's a second rounder. No. Tell me whether you think he's gonna be an all star starter, rotation guy, or end the bench guy. Yes. Well, let me see how good your evaluation ability is. And with Myers, you know what you're getting? You got you're getting a rotation guy. You can trust him. Yep.
0: And that's and that's invaluable. And you start you start to see, based on NBA rosters, you can almost kind of see what teams value because there's a reason. Like if you can tell the heat the heat culture I think is obviously up there. It's with the Spurs. It's with these yeah. you know these these different Boston. organizations. Boston, Celtics. Yep. Yeah. All these all these organizations that are known for their culture. Case in point, Udonis Haslam's still on the team.
2: No, no doubt. And I've always said this, and I've confirmed this with my NBA friends. There's 25 stars in the league, and the other 425-plus guys are role players. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of this league is you can be a role player and make $20 million. You know, you may not be a star. You might not be an all-star. You might not even be a starter. But, you know, you could be playing 24 minutes a game and making $14 million a year, and that's pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, you look across the league and – You look at Fred Van Vliet, you look at Marcus Smart, you look at these guys who, you know, when they come up on – Fred Van Vliet's going to come up on free agency, and he's going to make a pretty penny. Like, the guy wins, and and he's a great culture guy. He's always won everywhere he's gone. But even as we go back, right, as we look at the playoffs, as we look at the international impact of the NBA – and, yeah. and even just on display in the bubble here, right? Like Giannis, Luca, Jokic, Dennis Schroeder, Goran Dragic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Zubac, oh yeah. They're all over. Maxi, Maxi Claybar, like all, like you, you can go all the way down the list. Um, you know, Rudy Gobert, and and let's start with Giannis. Um, yeah. You know, I think you know for you, uh, what's his what's his trajectory?
2: Well, he's going to be two time MVP, mm-hmm. which says something right off the bat. And I think Giannis is probably, if I'm guessing, now 25. Uh, I saw him as a nineteen, eighteen, or nineteen-year-old uh, two weeks before the draft in Italy, in a tournament for an under under twenty European tournament. Um, and you know, yeah, ja- I mean, Giannis is heading to the Hall of Fame, obviously, and he's heading towards uh, now. One thing about the NBA, we know that you, to keep to be validated, you got to win it. You got to you got to win a world championship. Right. And and that may happen, it may not, but it looks like it could happen with Milwaukee. But Giannis is heading towards being, you know, I'd say. But one of the top 15 to 20 players to ever play the game if he continues on his trajectory, you know, and r- right off the bat, he's one of the, you know, you can argue whether, you know, LeBron is still the best player in the league or it's Giannis. Uh, but Giannis is a, a freak of nature. You know, really, you can't build a Giannis. You know, you just can't. Uh, just like LeBron has been a tank for you know 15 16 17 years i mean the guy is incredibly durable he's a monster in his own right right but Giannis is a he's a hall of fame talent and by the way so is luca mm-hmm. if luca's if luca doesn't get hurt he's heading to the hall of fame too these are these are generational talents and i think Giannis and luca are going to go down as two of the greatest players to ever play in the nba barring uh, serious injury, so uh, it speaks again, Mike, to the, le- the what the international game has done for the NBA. It's elevated beyond, elevated beyond what anybody could have imagined. Because now every American kid who's picking up the game wants to be Luka.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They want to be, they want to be Giannis. They want to be LeBron. They want to be Steph. And the game's in good hands because. The guys that wanted to be Steph four years ago were two kids named Spider Mitchell and Jamal Murray. Yep. And we know how skilled those guys are. And the next kid coming up, that top 50 player coming out of high school in the class of 22, he wants to be Spider Mitchell and Jamal Murray mm-hmm. right now. And those are great role models. The role models are phenomenal in the league right
0: now. That's what, And I think that's what I've seen. The biggest change, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know I'm 26 right now so so the the guys when I was you know 12 years old you know 14 15 years old you know you start to see a lot of the guys that like let's be let's be real the guys that you know their favorite players are LeBron their favorite players are Westbrook it's it's tough right cuz yeah. ra- very rarely can you can you translate their you know superhuman athletic ability um, but in terms of Steph I mean Steph is 6'3 with a 6'4 wingspan Um, incredibly skilled, shoots the obviously shoots the lights out, one of the best, if not the best shooters of all time. Like you can you can be Steph. You know, right? Like not everybody can wake up and be six nine, two fifty. Um you know, and jumping over everybody, but, but you can be a Steph, you can be a Donovan Mitchell, you can be a Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, obviously six, two with like a seven foot wingspan. That's, I mean, that's a whole nother story. But but the the point is the skill level, like the, these are things that, you know, everybody was infatuated with, with dunking and high flying when I was younger. And now I can see this this younger group is, you know, the range is getting further back. People are shooting threes and people are better at shooting threes, ball handling, all that has become a premium.
2: Well, and I'll take it back, because right when you were starting to really love basketball, the American game was really suffering. It was an isolation game. It was a one-on-one game. No disrespect to Allen Iverson, but guys like Allen Iverson, Iverson, as great a talent as he was – it somewhat hurt the game because he was such a great one-on-one player. Mm -hmm. And then we suffered internationally as a, as a country, you know, Uh, 2004, 2002 in Indianapolis, an embarrassment in the world championships. I think we finished sixth 2004. I think we finished third, uh, got the bronze medal with uh, Iverson leading the way. And uh, I'm trying to think it was on that. I know, I know LeBron and Melo and D Wade were on that team, but they weren't really ready to be, primetime players. But so when coach K took over in 2006 and all of a sudden Kobe's representing the United States and LeBron and Melo and Dwayne Wade have grown up and mm-hmm. Steph Curry comes along a couple years later. And Kevin Love is rebounding like a maniac and Tyson Chandler plays on the 2010 world championship gold medal team that by the way was the coming out party for KD. And you look at the way they handle themselves, not only on the court, but off the court over the last 15 years, what I would argue is, yeah, you might not be able to be LeBron as a player, but you can be LeBron as a citizen. And you sure. can handle your business in a class way. And in this draft class this year, I've told people, I've gotten to know a lot of these kids. This is a great draft class for high-character guys. Mm-hmm. And that a lot, a lot of that reason is because of the the pros they're starting to emulate are all great guys and i got to give the nba credit for uh, for these guys being great role models we're in such a great place in american basketball in part because the international guys taught us or retaught us a game that we taught them 50 years ago right and the ball movement, the Spurs, you know, the Warriors and the, the Raptors and the Celtics and the way offense is constructed right now. You know, we're seeing great team play. And it's, you know, to me it's the best I am an old school guy, but to me, this is the most skilled the league has ever been, top to bottom.
0: Without question. Without question. And and, yep. and yeah, and let's let's end with this last question. Obviously, as we've 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 mentioned, you know how great of an evaluator you are um for the nba international hoops who's the one guy and, and i and i want to refrain from saying who's the one guy you got wrong who's the one guy that you're su- who's the one guy you were surprised by um necessarily like f- from your evaluation to what they ended up being in the league who would it be if you were to pick one i
2: guess that's a really good question because i have gotten a bunch of these international guys wrong mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it um I, uh, you know, I have to I have to really think about that one, and have to think about who's in the league, you know, kicking butt. Because a lot of these guys, I pretty much, I got coached. I coached Goran Dragic uh, in into Euro camp one year, and I thought he'd be a, I thought he'd be a great value. Uh, he went in the second round. I thought he could be a really good rotation backup point guard,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but he's had a way be- better career than I could have expected. I mean, this guy had. You know, second year in the league, he had 25 points in a playoff quarter. Right. You know, back in like 2010 or 11. So, um, I, you know, I, I'll be honest. I didn't think Luca would be this good. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not the. It's not to say I thought he would be a bust. I don't think you can find a, a, a video of really me saying
0: that. No, it's well documented. If you you were you were the you were pro Luca for sure. Yeah, I was pro
2: Luca, but not to this point. So as right. I look back at. You know, I would say, hey, listen, I saw I saw uh, I don't think I didn't like him, but I, I saw Nikola Jokic back in 2013. He was an 18 year old playing in the under 19 world championships in mm-hmm. in Prague, Czechoslovakia against, by the way, a Billy Donovan coach team with Aaron Gordon, Marcus Smart, Jaleel Okafor, Alfred Payton. That was a pretty good team. And, and Nikola Jokic was a backup center on that team, you know, so he's way better than I expected him to be. No question about it. And, uh, you know, Jamal Murray, Canadian kid, I've always been a big proponent of the Canadian kids up in Toronto, but I, to say, I thought he would be doing what he's doing right now would not be true. I thought he'd be a good NBA player, but it's fun. You know, the other thing, Mike, as we end this, I love the idea that a kid that I thought would be pretty good has worked so hard that he's now great. And I think when you look at a Jamal Murray, knowing his family background, his, da- his dad's Jamaican. He was kind of a martial arts guy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He always kind of was a Dr. Frankenstein with Jamal. Um, it's great to see the way this kid has just become one of the NBA's great players. Because, by the way, in, in a scale of one to ten, I don't think he's a ten athletically. No. And it, unless you measure athleticism as you know uh reaction time and and uh you know change of direction i think all those things add in and he is a great nba athlete but not the way we think of lebron and and uh, westbrook
0: right right and and well well let's end it with your prediction so who who do you got who do you got winning it all
2: man i'll tell you i love watching boston and miami mm. i could see both of those either one of those teams coming out of the east um I think I think the Clippers are going to kind of put it together here. I do. I think the Clippers are going to put it together. They had a tough series with the Magic. Uh, I think they're deeper than the Lakers. Um, I like Clippers over Boston okay. in in 6. But I'm no NBA prognosticator. Let me just tell you.
0: <laughs> it's hard it's hard, I mean, it's hard to uh it's hard to forecast, man. I mean, it's it's Yeah. It's one of those things where you know, I, I, I talked about this a few episodes ago. You want to talk about the last 20 years, only three times have the two number one seats met in the finals. Like, it's just, well, it's, it's rare just because of how some of these teams pace themselves in the regular season.
2: I don't know how you feel about this, but anybody who doesn't think this is going to be a, a true NBA champion is out of their mind because these teams played 70 games. Mm-hmm. Then they had a three or four month hiatus. And now you given the mental health of being in the bubble, who one of my NBA coaching friends said he's staying in Disney State prison, you know, because it's beautiful, but he's stuck. Yeah. Um, but any 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 team that wins sixteen games in this environment, there's no asterisk there. No freaking way. That's Whoever wins sixteen sure. games. Yeah. No home court advantage got to win 16 games straight up just like we did in the at, in the playground or at the Y I say hats off to whoever wins this NBA title in uh, you know mid-october
0: well friend I I can't thank you enough for coming on obviously always a blast talking hoops with you and and, and let's do it again soon I, I appreciate it man
2: we'll do a college version of this uh, Mike down the road
0: awesome sounds good friend take care
2: okay all the best came to me.
1: Once was a waiter. Now he's a savior, making money on the street. My dreams are made.